Amen. Well, we're back in Second John. Uh, last week, we looked at verses 1 to 6 of the letter, and we spent a bit more time focusing on those verses. Today, we're going to focus on the second half of the book, if we can call it a book. Let's call it a letter. Uh, verses 7 to 13. And last week, we read the words of the apostle encouraging a church to whom he writes to live a certain way to avoid a potentially serious and deadly illness. We see in the letter that the disease in question is false teaching taught by a group that John calls deceivers. He calls them the Antichrist. And the church is to socially distance themselves from these individuals and from the false gospels that they teach for the sake of the spiritual health of the church family. John is aware that this is an illness that poses a real threat to God's people. And we see that throughout history. Very, very sadly, false gospels have a really effective success rate in sneaking their way into churches, into denominations, into organizations, movements, individuals' lives. And as they do, they lay waste to any good gospel work that is happening. It carries severe consequences for a church, either 2,000 years ago or today. And so John writes to warn them, but he starts his letter and ends his letter with a real pastoral warmth and love for the church. He rejoices that some of the church was already walking in the truth. They were already doing just as the Father commanded them. Their lives were already bearing the mark of a genuine gospel believer. And so John encouraged them to follow the commandment, not a new one, but one that they'd heard from the beginning, to love one another. And John says that loving one another is to walk together in the commandments of God. John says to this church, walk together in the truth and the love of the gospel. Do it as a church family. Don't think of your walk with Jesus as a single player game. Think of it as a team sport. And all of this we're going to see today is to help the church to stick to what is true and reject and resist what is false. And so as we turn to the second half of our letter, there are three things for us to consider this morning. What we're going to do is we'll look at the symptoms of false teaching as they appear in verse 7. We'll look at the dangers of false teaching as they appear in verses 8 and 9. And then we'll look at the remedy for false teaching in verses 10 and 11. So that's the symptoms of false teaching, the dangers of false teaching, and then the remedy for false teaching. So let's start with the symptoms. The description that John gives the church of this particular flavor of false teaching is straight to the point in verse 7. He says that false teachers are those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. At this time, 2,000 years ago, there was quite a popular idea floating around that the flesh our bodies, physical stuff, well, that was bad. That was intrinsically bad, evil. But spiritual stuff, our souls, well, that was, that was good. 
And therefore, the thought of an almighty, good, spiritual God, if you like, stepping into bad, sinful flesh, well, that wasn't really an idea that had much traction. It wasn't really one that made sense. It seemed to be kind of slightly incompatible back in those days. And so some teachers around 2,000 years ago started to teach in these churches that, well, Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh. Maybe it just appeared like he did. And that teaching is going to make the arrival of God on earth slightly culturally easier to swallow. That's what false teaching does in a sense. It makes the gospel, it makes the good news of Jesus just slightly easier to swallow by just altering or changing or tweaking a few details here and there. But for a believer, whether it's 2,000 years ago or today, that's such a dangerous thing to buy into. If we look back at our church that John writes to 2,000 years ago, Jesus the man, Jesus as a human being, is such an important, such a key part of the gospel that we believe and the gospel that we share with others. Jesus was God incarnate. He was God stepping into human flesh to live a sinless life, to die for our sins on the cross. That is the gospel that he came to share. It's not something that we can abandon or change. And so false teaching throughout the years might actually change its mask, but the truth is that really it's trying to do the same thing throughout the generations. False teaching always takes some of the screws that hold the gospel together and just loosen them ever so slightly. Here, it's denying Jesus something of his humanity as a man. But false teaching has, from time to time, denied Jesus something of his divinity as God. Or it's listened to the words of Jesus or his, or his apostles and has asked, did Jesus really say that? Is that really what the Bible teaches? And the reality is that he very plainly did say these things. The reality is that the Bible really does plainly teach these things. But that's what false teaching does. Interestingly, he mentions in verse 7 that these false teachers have gone out into the world. Now, John might mean that literally, geographically. He does indicate in the first part of his three letters, or the first of his three letters in 1 John, that these false teachers were once a part of church families, like the one here at Redeemer. They were part of church gatherings that took place 2,000 years ago. So John could literally mean that these false teachers have left and gone out into the world in that they're no longer around or present with them on a Sunday or when they gather together. But these letters seem to indicate that they're still well within earshot of the churches as they gather. These letters seem to indicate that these false teachers and their false teaching is still just slightly too close for comfort. See, John regularly uses the phrase the world throughout his gospel and throughout his letters to mean the forces that oppose Jesus, the forces that reject his gospel, the forces that persecute his followers. 
And so these false teachers going out into the world seems to indicate taking the genuine gospel of Jesus and altering it, reimagining Jesus, changing the message of salvation to make it just slightly easier on the ear. The sort of message that, well, everyone can get behind, whether you're a Christian or not, that sort of thing. And gradually over time, their false teaching sounds less and less like Jesus and more and more like the world. It can be incredibly slippery in its nature, false teaching. In another sense, it's really, really easy to spot. There was one stage during lockdown, I think some places still do this, where you walk into a restaurant or a a cafe or, or some such place and somebody will point an infrared thermometer gun at your forehead as you walk into, as I say, a building or or public transport, and they they check your temperature to see if you are displaying the symptoms of COVID-19 or not. Well, John says that you can do exactly the same with someone who is teaching in a church. You can do exactly the same thing to point out or to find somebody or to uncover somebody who is teaching something that is false. And the thermometer that you point at their head is the gospel that Jesus shared. And if the result that you get is anything different to the gospel that Jesus shared, they're a deceiver. They're an antichrist teacher. And so the question to ask is very, very simple as we point the gospel gun at someone's head, so to speak. Are these words, this person speaks, the words of Jesus Christ? Is the gospel that this person teaches the gospel that Jesus taught? the one that he commissioned his apostles to spread to the ends of the earth? Or is this individual trying to somehow blend the values of the gospel with the values of the world? Those are the symptoms to look out for. And let's be clear that John, he's not talking about doubts expressed by genuine believers or comments made by those who are investigating Christianity, which are honest heartfelt thoughts, questions. That's really, really important to remember. I was having a chat with somebody recently who has been a Christian for a good number of years. He dipped his toes into being trained for gospel work. And he is trying to reconcile how a good and kind and compassionate God could allow this individual's family member who was really, really close to him pass away when this individual was much, much younger. And the questions he was asking about God's love and God's goodness are very, very different to the sorts of questions that a false teacher would ask. John is talking about those that very, very deliberately twist Jesus, twist his life, twist his death, twist his resurrection away from what he says, from what Jesus says, to a much more diluted version, or even a slightly more diluted version. And so John wants you and me to hold the thermometer gun to the mouth of everyone you hear teaching about Jesus and ask, are these persons' words the same words as Jesus' words about Jesus? That's the first thing. Those are the symptoms of false teaching. The second thing for us to consider this morning are the dangers of false teaching. So John's command in verse 8 is for the church to watch themselves so that they may not lose what they, 
the church and what John, what we have worked for, but may instead win a full reward. So my father and grandfather have both done a bit of sailing over the years. And I have often wondered if the same genes lie dormant in my blood. And then I, I realize I have terrible balance and not great hand-eye coordination or dexterity to do anything much in life at all. And so realize that the answer is probably no. But if they were to, to purchase and renovate a, a sailing boat, making it fit for purpose, spending hours of manpower, thousands of pounds to make it seaworthy, painting it, doing whatever it is you need to do to renovate a boat, they would certainly make sure that it was safely moored at sea every single night. If they forgot to drop the anchor, if they forgot to secure it to the dock, then tidal forces would cause it to gradually drift further and further out into the sea. And if you've ever fallen asleep on a lilo on holiday, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. They would have lost everything that they had worked for. And John says that to allow false teaching to permeate our hearts, to allow false teaching to seep its way into our minds, that runs the risk of detaching us from our gospel moorings. And the risk is that the tidal forces of the world will just slowly but surely drift us further and further away from the genuine gospel of Jesus. The dangers are that we are deceived, sucked in by a false gospel, and we run a serious risk of, to use John's words, losing our full reward from the Lord that John mentions in verse 8. The risk of drifting away from the gospel, the risk of drifting away from the reward that awaits every single believer, like you, like me, that is our motivation for lowering our anchor every single day, every single week, into the true, genuine gospel of Jesus. The promise for us is eternal forgiveness, eternal life. And so John reiterates to the church in verse 9, abide, that's such a rich John word, stay in the teaching of the gospel. And you have both the Father and the Son. He says, don't be tempted to go on ahead. Don't be tempted to depart from the gospel of Jesus, just like these false teachers have done. Do not abandon, do not compromise the foundation upon which your salvation and mine rests. There is far too much at stake here. False gospels do not lead to the new creation. They risk the loss of everything that John and the apostles and these churches have worked for. And that means, it must mean that if we hear someone around Redeemer or Chalmers or a summer camp context, a Bible study group, suggesting that we don't need certain parts of the gospel anymore, suggesting that we don't necessarily need certain elements of the Bible taught anymore, undermining the authority of the apostles that write much of the New Testament. You and I have a gospel duty, a gospel responsibility, as a child of God, 
to protect the gospel and to protect the listeners from false teaching. We're not being nitpickers. We're watching ourselves, to use John's language. And that is because the lives and the eternities of those listening to these false teachers are in jeopardy. So John says, mirror yourselves every single day, every single week to the gospel of Jesus. Otherwise, there is a risk of drifting. And that leads us nicely on to the last thing we'll look at this morning, which is the remedy for a false teaching. We've looked at the symptoms, we've looked at the dangers, and then we'll finish by looking at the remedy. John's lockdown measures are very, very simple. When it comes to false teaching, we are in level four plus, and we have to stay there forever. So verses 10 and 11, John says, do not, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, i.e. the gospel, the gospel about the Father and the Son, do not receive him into your house. Do not give him any greeting. You might know already that 2,000 years ago, men and women would gather in one another's houses as a church. They would have gathered together to sing together, to encourage one another, to remind one another of the gospel, to listen to God's word being taught by an elder of the church as they had prepared that week. And John says, do not give that teaching spot to a false teacher. Don't give them a hearing for the sake of politeness or for the sake of balance. In fact, John says, don't let them in at all. I remember when I started as a staff worker with UCCF, where we were encouraging students to speak to their friends who didn't know Jesus, about Jesus, about the gospel. And there was a moment when someone suggested a certain speaker to come in and do a CU talk or to give an evangelistic talk at a Cayley or an event that we were running. And I remember the guy really, really clearly. He was the pastor of a church in Edinburgh that would be a really, really different flavor of church to one which knows and teaches the gospel. We're not talking kind of secondary issues here. We're talking key important gospel things. And I remember a few of the committee members brilliantly looking up this guy online, listening to a few of his talks, and then deciding that they weren't going to ask him to come and speak at the CU. They were going to, to use John's language, avoid receiving him. They were going to avoid giving him a greeting. And that is exactly what John is talking about. It's nothing personal. It's not character assassination. It's just a very simple assessment and a recognition that false gospels taught by false teachers are not welcome. They're not welcome around the genuine church, the genuine people of God. Simply put, we love the members of our churches and we love the members of our church families too much to give any sort of platform to anyone that might try and lead them astray. 
And my impression is that churches like Chalmers and Redeemer might run the risk from time to time of feeling that this is something that we don't really need to worry about. It's something that we've been historically quite good at spotting and fending off. And therefore, it's something for, well, I guess other churches in the city to worry about. Perhaps those that aren't quite as discerning as we are. But can I encourage you and can I encourage Chalmers as church families not to rest on our laurels? This is not something that we do once. This is something that we do every single week as a church family. This is something that we do in our small groups. It's something that we do on a Sunday. It's something that we do in our youth work. It's something that we do in our evangelism as we try and share Jesus with others. Never, ever allow complacency to relax our attitude towards false teaching and false teachers. That's been a big, big challenge for me as I've wrestled with all of this over the past seven days or so. So those are the the symptoms, the dangers, and the remedy of false teaching. But let's, as we close, as we draw to a conclusion, let's tie the two halves of the letter together. What is John doing in the letter as a whole? How does walking in the truth and love of the gospel, how does walking together in obedience to God's commandments as a church family stop the church from being deceived by false teaching and losing the gospel rewards that they have been given? The answer is really simple and really straightforward. See, John says to this church and John says to Redeemer today that walking in the truth and in the love of Jesus together, hand in hand, as a church family, that is your first and best line of defense against false teaching and false teachers. Walk together in the truth of the gospel and false teaching will find it very, very hard to sink its roots into what you guys are doing here at Redeemer. Over the past couple of months, there's been a very, very welcome return of live sport coming in from across the whole world. And within the past few weeks or month or so, I've heard commentators and pundits kind of bringing out all of these cliches that they just love trotting out when they watch a football match and when they analyze it during and, and afterwards. And so already within the past few weeks, you, you hear commentators and pundits talking about the dangers of a poor, disorganized defense. And by contrast, you hear pundits speaking really positively, extolling the virtues of a really well-organized defensive performance. If you ever watch a, a sporting match where the smaller team upsets the odds, beats the bigger team that they really don't have any right to beat, the commentators will often say something like, the team worked really hard together as a unit today and made themselves impossible to break down. And similarly, you hear managers of teams who play against these smaller, well-disciplined teams, and they say something like, we just couldn't get through the defense. Well, John says, walk in truth and in love together as a church family and make it impossible 
for false teaching to break you down. Encourage one another to daily listen to and obey the words of Jesus. Abide in the gospel of Jesus. And as a result, false teachers and false teaching will respond by saying, we just couldn't get through their defense. What that will look like specifically in your context is a conversation worth having, perhaps in small groups as you hang out with one another, perhaps as you enjoy more freedoms in level zero and you can bring people along to church. But suffice to say that false teaching is there. It's a real danger. We should be wary. But in Jesus, we have absolutely everything that we need to fend it off. We have him, and we have one another. And so John's plea to you this morning is this. Link arms spiritually with the rest of your church family, with your elders, with your pastor. Walk together in the truth and the love of what Jesus came to share. Away from danger, dropping your anchor into God's gospel every single week. And in so doing, you will stay and abide and be safely guarded and kept until God gives you collectively as a church family the gospel prize that awaits every single one of us. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, we pray and ask that you would help us as a church this morning to abide in the teaching of Christ. We pray, Father, that you would help us to spot the symptoms of false teaching, to recognize the dangers, and to respond by staying as far away from it as we possibly can. Father, we know that the best way for us to do this is to teach and to study your word every single day, every single week. And so we pray, Father, that you would give us the motivation to do that individually, yes, but as a church family, so that we may not lose the reward that you have given us in Christ. Help us, Father, not to be scared by this, but help us, Father, to be motivated and to be alert and to constantly point one another to the truth of who you are and what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.